Welcome to the Hopeful Economics Podcast, a ministry of the United Church of Canada, proudly supported by Mission and Service and New Church Ministry of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ in the United States and Canada. With an incredible lineup of speakers, you'll dive deep into the relationship between social enterprise and faith. You'll learn about the economic impact of churches and how to pitch your community of faith to form new partnerships. Hopeful Economics is a way of looking at the world of assets in abundance and making them work for everyone. This content originated from the Hopeful Economics Unconference, a virtual event in March of 2021. Mark your calendars for March 3rd and 4th of 2022 to participate in the next Hopeful Economic Unconference. Learning from Rural. Rural economic development organizations have always been cutting edge as they live on the edge. When speaking with someone in a rural context who has done something that would be considered innovative in an urban or suburban context, their response is usually, that's just the way we do things. We hope you will walk away with eyes wide open that every neighborhood and community already has exactly what it needs. Roz Lockyer, founder and executive uh, officer of Payroll Center for Women's Enterprise. Well, thank you so much, Terrell, and uh, I'm so honored to be here in this on-conference. It's not very often I go to an on-conference, but you know, new experiences are always wonderful. So good afternoon. It's I'm coming from sunny Thunder Bay in northern Ontario. Uh, that's where the head office of Paro Center for Women's Enterprise is located. And we've been around since 1995. Uh, and our elevator pitch before COVID was Paro drives around Ontario giving women money and training support. And since COVID-19 restrictions, we now say Paro zooms around Ontario, giving women women money and training and support. So uh, it's a new reality for us, but at the same time, we're helping the women uh, uh, pivot and uh, reimagine how they do things as well. So uh, new things are exciting too, even though they're challenging. So challenges are not always bad. Uh, as long as we can stay safe, um, this is an exciting journey. So talking about Paro, Paro is ultimately a large social enterprise. And uh, like I said, we started in 1995. And the structure of the social enterprise is primarily as um, a peer lending circle network. And now we're, we've been called several times actually uh, the largest women-centered peer lending circle network in um, Ontario, or in North America, actually, easily in Ontario. But uh, in North America is what other people say about us. And uh, we've been operating for these 26 plus years, um, primarily in rural Ontario and small urban cities. And since COVID, we've had uh, quite a few actually circles start up in Ottawa and Kingston and, and uh, the greater Toronto area. And I think mostly because of need, need because women weren't fitting into the 
government programs. So they searched us out to to get the grants and uh, loans. So we're really a social enterprise that supports the women who need it the most because that's our priority and our focus. But we actually support all women. And we do that in our social enterprise by partnering with um, social finance investors uh, to many actually that are CFDCs or Community Future Development Corporations, which are alternate lending uh, organizations in Canada. Um, ours are in Ontario. And they um, give out microloans, uh, and I think they go up to about 150,000. Uh, so we have MOUs with them. So there are uh, social finance uh, investors for our loans. And more recently, in the last couple of years, we, we've partnered with Alterna Savings uh, for places where there are no community futures, because there's no community futures, for instance, in cities like Ottawa and Toronto and Kingston and so on, this, the, the larger cities. So that's that's been a wonderful experience, too, because it's increased the diversity of, of women that we're working with as well, which is always an important part of what we do. So Within our social enterprise, we're providing grants and loans. The loans are the piece where the social investors are coming in. And um, we also uh, provide peer support through, through the network of peer lending circles. Peer support is probably the most important thing uh, that's provided. And um, training, we do training all the time. Early on when we started this social enterprise, the women said to us, well, we don't just need money, we need training. So training is often a part of a social enterprise, skill development and networking, of course. Um, but we also use the sustainable livelihoods model. So we're not just about profit. Uh, we're looking at things, uh, success from a very holistic point of view, which is also very important in a social enterprise. It's not all about profit. It's not all about getting money. It's, it's about um, the social aspects of what's important to people and communities. Also, uh, we look at how we impact the environment. And our values are really important. But ultimately, we're trying to support the women and their families. And we encourage from the beginning of our relationship that, and we support through awards, we support women who also support their community in many ways. So that's an important part of being a proud para woman. So how does, how does this help rural? And I think there's, a, there's a, a connection between the rural dynamic and of, of success and how we do our social enterprise. And these, these uh, values and um, uh, qualities are important whenever you're doing anything in a small community um, and with people and with diverse people. So you have to respect that diversity, but even more so, you have to celebrate the diversity 
of the individuals in that community. And that is very important. Respect is important, but celebration of diversity is even more important. Uh, so that has to be an integral part of what you're doing. And um, empowerment comes also with uh, ownership and responsibility. So within our peer lending circles, the women actually approve their own loans and they sign on the dotted line for that. They, they approve the loan and they also have a shared, um, a shared uh, fund, a shared fund. We call it emergency fund, but a shared savings fund that everyone pays into so that prevents defaults. So if a woman gets in trouble in a particular month and finds it difficult to pay her loan, she can go to her particular circle and say, you know, it's really tough this month. And I'm sure they had lots of tough months in the last year or so. Uh, and they can say, you know, can I borrow from the emergency fund? And that's what they do. But they also uh, have to talk about how they're going to pay it back. And no one else can get a loan in that circle till they pay that back. So it's it's this su peer support is also peer pressure, but it's from a good point of view. It, it's, it's supporting the unit and, and that uh, relationship. And it's giving them ownership uh, and, and responsibility for these loans. The other very important element, and I think it's it's very important in rural, uh, because we all can see each other in rural, as uh, it's uh, a collaboration and cooperation. And not everyone's good at that. So we try to uh, teach that in some ways, because our society doesn't necessarily teach us that. Uh, so it's about working together to support each other rather than only oneself. So um, we do that, of course, by encouraging this uh, support at every level of they, the women decide who's going to be in the peer lending circle, for example. We don't tell them who's going to be there. They choose. They choose uh, who's, who they're going to be working with because some of our circles have been around for over 20 years, you know, and we have other circles set up by their children and grandchildren at this point. So it's, uh, it's, it's really interesting how that evolves. So it's a long-term relationship. It's an intimate relationship in that it's very confidential what happens in their circle we try to not interfere at all, but to have a system that's supportive, that they uh, can access without us having to be the hierarchy and instructing. Uh, it's mostly the system is, is put together in such a way for that empowerment and, and ownership and responsibility to be with the circle. And I, when I was researching how to do this, uh, that was very intentional. Uh, what I found was when I was re doing my research years ago in 1994, 95, uh, I found out why the circles didn't work. The ones that I talked to, the ones that didn't work. And uh, it was, 
it was carried on more from the point of view of the mother organization was approving the loans, etc. Our board of directors are elected out of our circle membership, but they don't approve the loans. They approve the process of approving the loans and they have a checklist of what needs to be done. So you can see that whenever we're doing a program or a project, all of those elements are important to us. Uh, the, you know, the holistic approach of empowerment, ownership, responsibility, collaboration, respect, integrity, all of those values are really important to us. So let's look at rural in general. I think we're going to have a question and answer piece. So I'm going to have to, to keep that in mind because I think, Terrell, you're going to monitor that. So I yes, probably, yeah, I should probably watch the clock so that there's time for that at the end. Uh, but um, right now, I think there is, are increasing um, or different, I think might be a better word, uh, challenges that have become very obvious to the public uh, when we're talking about rural. Uh, one of them is the increasing need, of course, for uh, online connectivity, but also we don't want those cell phone gaps either. Uh, so we're finding now that there's people moving out of the bigger city areas and moving into rural areas. So they are going to want to work. And this is going to become even more important. And we're talking to government about that. And they say they're putting money in that. But I think everyone needs to get that message across because it's uh, people won't be able to carry on uh, a sustainable livelihood in the rural communities without that. To my mind, high-speed internet right now is a human right. It's uh, You just can't do anything without it. So you're definitely uh, at a disadvantage if you don't have that. And if you don't have cell phone connection, you're not safe. So those things need to be a priority. The other thing that has become blatantly obvious is... Um, the lack of organized and appropriate childcare. And that's always been a problem in rural communities because often people were working out of the community, driving a long ways, or they were um, working for industry. In the North, they're working for industry and they have shifts, et cetera. Or if you're working in the health service, you have shifts. So you, you understand what I mean. So uh, having really safe, organized support of child care is important. And of course, I don't have to tell you anything about senior care, elder care. Uh, you know, these things now uh, have escalated as a, a priority. And we all as human beings here living in Canada need to make sure that we, we advocate for uh, child care and elder care. Uh, and what's happening now in Canada is just not acceptable. It's not acceptable in a country such as ours. The other things we, we have to realize that in many rural areas, there can be a, an economic decline if industry moves out. So we need, we need to be aware of that as it's happening and make sure that 
we we encourage the government. They have a program called SI-SF, which is Social Innovation and Social Finance. It's actually already been approved, but they've only done the first phase. And we've been advocating to the government to make sure they put the second phase uh, out coming forward because the money I think actually has already been um, approved. So they just haven't moved on it. And I guess we understand to some degree because uh, of COVID, et cetera, it's hard to encourage uh, government to move on these things. But I think this is a way to support rural communities and the people living there to set up social enterprise, cooperatives, whatever form it's going to be, uh, as, uh, but will serve the community and uh, help uh, solve some of the challenges that are there, you know, for business, for example, there's also increased shipping costs and there's always transportation is always an issue. Um, reaching the larger markets, actually with technology and using virtual, we can do that a little bit better. So just in closing, I think a couple of recommendations. Um, I think for rural, we need to encourage place-based innovation. Communities are different. So uh, you want your community to uh, look at what they need, what are the gaps in their community and what do they need to serve. Uh, health, health services are, are a very big gap usually in smaller communities. You know, they have to travel a long way. And uh, I heard uh, recently that they were shutting down some of the ambulance services in some of the small communities in Northern Ontario. Well, this is a step backward. We shouldn't be doing that. Uh, we also have to enable flexibility. Many of the systems are set up for larger communities and, and for cities, but we have to encourage governments to uh, allow for uh, flexibility within the systems so that we can have local cross-sectional innovation happening maybe between three and four communities together, whatever is needed. We have to leverage the resources that are already there from organizations like PARO, the CFDCs, uh, SEDNET, uh, you know, Alterna Savings, the cooperatives and so on that are functioning there now in the rural communities. I think that that's really important. And uh, it's also important to, uh, for skill development and enterprise development that um, to enable flexibility and innovation around uh, that happening because you've got smaller populations. So when you're applying for funding, you can't say you're gonna have uh, 200 people attend your workshop if you've only got 500 in your community, for example. So I think I've covered a lot of the, uh, the areas that I wanted to talk about. What's most important to realize that with social enterprise and there's a, a, um, the essence of social enterprise to some degree is ethical practices. You know, whether we're using impact investing, uh, conscious consumerism, corporate social responsibility, all of these things social enterprise promotes that. 
And uh, that's a really important piece. So social enterprise, people ask me what it is. And I said, well, it's like a, a do good business, <laughs> a do good business. Uh, and I think there's great potential for, for social enterprise, the do good business to uh, breathe new life into our uh, rural communities in, in the fu new future. So One I'm going to stop is, talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, thank you so much for sharing all that. As we, um, as um, I look through your website and I, I see the level of accomplishment that you have reached, um, I, I know that this didn't happen overnight. And so many of us may be, you know, just starting or at various stages of the development of our enterprises or of our collectives. Um, talk to me just for a brief moment about the some of the things that did not go well, some of the failures from which you learned, uh, what even maybe were some of your biggest, most unexpected outcomes as you were developing this uh, this initiative? Well, you know, one thing I had to learn was I can't do everything. <laughs> mm. And I was a doer. Uh, so I had to learn that one really, really quickly. And when you're doing community work, that's not the way to do it anyway. You know, the, the, the first steps are reaching out to other people that are interested in supporting what you're doing. And, uh, you know, seeing how they, they can uh, help and be part of it. So it's not only help, but uh, um, it's, you know, how can we work together? And uh, it, it, the other thing is um, not to plan too much at one time. You have to constantly plan. You have to assess where you are. Uh, so every community you go, the first thing is to uh, assess where, where the gaps are, you know, and to go and talk to people and say, you know, we're not here to do what you're doing. We're here to uh, look at the needs in the community and see where we can fill some of those gaps. So I guess, you know, the biggest mistake is to, that you can make is to go too quickly. You know, always uh, there's, a, there's steps you should take and not to plan too far ahead. You want to know, you know, where you want to be as a social enterprise in 10 years, five years, three years. But that doesn't mean that you need intricate plans for all of that along the way. You have to build in flexibility because things change and they change really quickly. Well, we're moved. I mean, we're sitting in some of the largest changes change that we've ever experienced oh, yes. by means of this um, this pandemic. And and whereas God still gave, or we all still have a larger vision for what we might accomplish. I don't think that that vision changed. Like the vision is still very right. much doable within um, and after the pandemic. But maybe there are different needs that have come as a result of the pandemic. We only have a couple more minutes, but I would love to hear more about um, what new needs have emerged and how you discovered that these new needs, new needs are now um, prevalent um, as a result of the effects of COVID-19. Well, I think, you know, we were, we were about half virtual when, uh, you know, half of our team were meeting in in offices and half of our team were out on the roads, et cetera, and working out of their homes. Uh, it was a new need to do everything virtually. So we had to step that up really quickly. The experience we had really helped. I think that's the same for the women's businesses. The biggest need that we have seen with women is 
you know, and we 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 did get some funds from the government to help with that additional money that we put out as grants for uh, called Biz Growth. We raised the money for our grants for our circle loans, but they're smaller. And uh, so, for instance, in our case, we start with thousand dollars. And they only pay back 500. The rest of it, Arrow has to come up with from somewhere. Then we give them 2,000, but they only have to pay back 1,000. Then they go to 3,000 and 5,000 as loans. Uh, so that's sort of a leg up. Um, so during uh, COVID, we uh, approached uh, the government and uh, we were able to come up with uh, 5,000 to $7,500 grants. And most of the women have used that money to uh, reimagine, pivot their business, however you want to, to call it, and uh, get whatever training they need, whatever equipment they need to be able to do that. And that, of course, has kept us really, really busy, busier than we've ever been. Yeah, I can imagine so. Well, listen, thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you for your time and that you've shared uh, with us today. Hopefully, there'll be many of us that will reach out to you and, and say, how can we collaborate? How can we cooperate? How can we help you be more intergenerational or intercommunity? What ways can we work together? That is the hope of our conference here, our unconference here with Hopeful, um, Hopeful Economics. Uh, we are going to uh, move into our next period of time. Is there any last words you'd like to give us um, as we make a uh, transition here? Well, I'd be really happy to hear from any of you. Uh, we partner all the time. We've hundreds of partners and we're always open to partnering. So I want I would invite you to reach out to us, reach out to me. And uh, I'm sure, you know, you approach Terrell or Carla, you can get the uh, contact information. Of course, you can go to our page, paro.ca. And it's been a delight to be here. And thanks so much for the invitation. And any questions at all? Uh, you know, just fire them my way. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Hopeful Economics Podcast, a ministry of the United Church of Canada, proudly supported by Mission and Service, and New Church Ministry of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ in the United States and Canada. The Hopeful Economics Podcast is produced by Resonate Media. In the spirit of the unconference, we'd love to invite you into the conversation. Subscribe, review, and comment on our social media channels. A special thank you to those that partnered to make the Hopeful Economics possible. 1001 Worshiping Communities, Alterna, Buy Social, Faith and Finance, Metcalf Foundation, United Church of Christ, Rooted Good, Toronto Neighborhood Centers, Community Innovation Hub, and learn about Resonate Media at ResonateMediaPro.com. Thanks for listening and continue to share the blessings of health and wealth with everyone.